0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: And some will argue one of the most controversial topics in the Bible too, the way we look at the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. Well, we're going to talk about why people think of Revelation as controversial. We'll discuss some of the issues with how we as Christians in the 21st century might interpret a book that was written in the 1st century. What is it all about when we talk about things like apocalyptic literature? Maybe you've had these sorts of questions. Well, I think you'll be fascinated in the conversation that we'll have over this coming hour. Our special guest to talk through some of these issues is renowned Bible teacher, Dr. Camille Majdali from Teach All Nations. And you'll recognize Camille as one of our regulars here on 2020. And of course, our special program, Faith and the Future, that goes to air every weekday here on 2020. Well, Camille is on the edge of releasing a new book on the book of Revelation. It's called White Horse Coming and it's going to be launched and really to coincide with this year's Understanding the Times national tour. This August and September, Dr. Camille is on his national tour, Understanding the Times, crossing four states in Australia, New South Wales... Queensland, South Australia and WA. So look forward uh, to having the opportunity once again to be part of an Understanding the Times presentation and a whole lot of new material to present each time Camille does these tours. Well, this year his presentation is going to showcase what's happening in the Middle East and around the world from a biblical perspective. So let's welcome our special guest for this coming hour, Dr Camille Magidale. Hello Camille, welcome back to 2020.
2: Thank you, Neil. Pleasure to be with you again.
1: Well, it is always a pleasure talking, Camille. And uh, we've got you in Melbourne today. Is that the case?
2: Yes. Believe it or not, I'm in my hometown of Melbourne. Not (laughs) for long. All right. Not for long. Yes.
1: Now, Camille, while we're going to talk about Revelation today, uh, we'll talk about some of the concepts you're unveiling in your book called White Horse Coming. Uh, This one's been simmering along for a while. It takes a process to get a book to a point where it's published and ready for launch. Uh, Tell us about the the preparation for launch for White Horse Coming.
2: Well, look, it's... My 11th book, praise God, I've always wanted to be an author, and and since I teach all nations inception, that's exactly what I've been able to do. This particular book was the product of what is called an inductive Bible study. And an inductive Bible study is where you scuba dive, not snorkel, in the Word of God. You go deep, you look at the different verses, key words, comparison and contrast. I know it sounds complicated. It really isn't. You just are going deep. And out of it came seven principles that I think anybody who believes the Bible is the Word of God can agree on, even though there can be disagreement on interpretation of Revelation. But these seven keys or pillars, I feel, that I discovered in the inductive study, come out incredibly well and gives anybody a handle on this great book. So the book is already at the printer. Any moment, it'll be finished. We will also have it designed to be on Amazon Kindle so that people can learn the seven keys, and I really believe they will help unlock the book of Revelation. And, of course, we'll be presenting this book on the Understanding the Times tour in August and September. Uh,
1: Now, the plan is to actually launch the new book in Malaysia. Uh, When's that happening?
2: That'll happen on the 20th of May.
1: Okay, so you're just getting ready now to head off to Malaysia, where there's quite a significant following that you have in that part of the world.
2: Well, I don't, I, I, know, I don't know how big a following is, but I've been going for 15 years every single year, and it's a wonderful, heartwarming experience. People are very hungry. They're hungry for the word. They're hungry to understand world events. They're hungry to be future-ready. And when you're future-ready, you never face tomorrow with dread you face it with joy and confidence
1: Uh, camille as we talk about the book of revelation uh, there's one temptation uh, that comes upon christian believers when we're looking at end times events uh, to look at those things that we'll see in the newspaper headlines and look at the book of revelation and correlate the two together Is that something that ought to be done, or is there some concerns about the way that we sometimes might use a certain method of interpreting? Uh, books that talk about the end times uh, with just uh, looking at the current events of the day because there's lots of current events of today, aren't there? I mean, we can look at those things that are going on in the Middle East and uh, Syria, which is still a real mess. Uh, Then there's North Korea. Then there's uh, the French elections. Uh, uh, What are your thoughts on some of the the current events that we're seeing? Is there a connection to the sorts of things we read about in the book of Revelation?
2: Well, Neil, there seems to be Extremes. Some, of course, treat the book of Revelation as if it's radioactive. They don't want to touch it, controversial, might scare people off, will definitely be off putting to new people and un- the unchurched to come into the service. And that is a dangerous attitude, to be honest. I don't mean that to be insulting, but it's dangerous, particularly when prophecy has been given by God graciously as an early warning service for his church of course, there's the other extreme, and that is trying to find meaning in everything and trying to link it to Revelation, and of course, going into extreme, going into exaggeration, hyperbole, and all this kind of stuff, too. We need to basically walk with the Lord, be led by the Holy Spirit. But we do have eyes, we do have ears, and Paul tells us more than once in 1 Thessalonians 5, we should watch and be sober. He particularly uses the term sober. It doesn't just mean you stay off the vino. What it means is that you are awake, alive, self-controlled, focused in the right direction. When you do that, and then you link Revelation with events, you really can't go wrong.
1: So if we go back to things that were unfolding in the first century, Camille, and as we look at things that are going on in the present, uh, sometimes we use that terminology, uh, we would talk about apocalyptic imagery. And was that a sort of a secret code that John the Apostle might have been using to unfold uh, this vision that he had on the island of Patmos? Uh, is that something that was relevant for the first century but has further relevance later How do you see the things that have been written in the book of Revelation and what they might mean for us today?
2: All right. The book of Revelation is, of course, one revelation. Many people erroneously keep saying in revelations as if it's a multiplicity of, shall we say, revelations from God. It's not. It's just one revelation, and it's about Jesus Christ. It's his. But what... The Holy Spirit does is there is this imagery that is used. Now, it's even for the most conservative Bible student, even they will admit that imagery must be taken for it is an image, trying to convey a reality through something that is unforgettable. So when it talks about Christ, whose eyes are a flame of fire and his hair is like wool, well, obviously Jesus's eyes are not on fire and his hair is not lamb's wool. It's normal hair. But it gives you this picture so that you can understand that he is radiant with glory and that he is not just radiant with glory, he is full of authority, and he's basically getting ready to come back to this planet to take over, to rule with a rod of iron, a phrase that is used three times in Revelation coming straight out of the second psalm. So we need to just take things at face value. When they are plain statements, then we take them as plain statements. But when it uses this imagery, it's there to basically paint a picture in our minds of a spiritual reality that is hard for us to comprehend now, but we will get used to comprehend it when we see him in glory. So it serves a very good purpose, but take it at face value. When it is plain statements, then it's plain. When it's imagery, What is the meaning, literally, out of that imagery?
1: And Camille, when you are reading through the chapters in the book of Revelation, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, that you could become fearful of what might happen in an end times unfolding. But I'm not sure whether fear is the purpose, uh, because I imagine you have to balance uh, some of the fearful things in Revelation with the idea of, of this is actually a book of hope. Uh, How do you see the way we read the book of Revelation?
2: Well, one of the keys to understanding Revelation is that it's a book of blessing. In the third verse of chapter 1, it talks about the person who's blessed, who basically reads and heeds the book. And chapter 1, verse 3, is one of seven Beatitudes found in Revelation. Not one or two, seven. Blessed is he who does this, or that, and the other, and another, other, and including all the way into the last chapter. Blessed is he who keeps his commandments, that he may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. So, yes, if you only look at it from a very narrow and limited perspective, chapters 9 and 13 can be very unsettling. But when you see the big picture... And when you understand that Revelation is a book of blessing, and when you also understand the nature of the last days, it's not all doom and gloom. It's doom and gloom on one side, but it's light, bright, and life on the other side. And that the righteous will become more righteous as the wicked become more wicked. And those that are in apostasy will become more apostate, but, but revival will break out greater than anything we've ever seen. When you see it like that, then chapters 9 and 13 are not ominous anymore and furthermore you understand God's with you and God's with you you're not afraid of anything
1: so it is a book of hope and of blessing for the believer Uh, for the non-believer I imagine that some of those passages that you're talking about may well hold a degree of fear because uh, really it's going to be a matter of who is on the Lord's side uh, will be blessed is that the way it works
2: very possibly. The thing is, when when you read chapters like that, now you either can harden your heart and say, oh, well, this is the way God is, I want nothing to do with him. That's sometimes what can happen. It's a very unwise response, of course, but it, it is a very normal one. Or the other thing is, it can maybe instill in people what we call the fear of the Lord, because the fact is that when you commit yourself to God, and you serve him, which is basically what the fear of the Lord is, then actually, as one great Bible teacher put it, the fear of the Lord cancels out all other fear. Now, when you've canceled out all of the fear and you're fearless, it's amazing what you can do in life. <laughs> so these fearful chapters in Revelation, chapters 9 and 13 in particular, the purpose of them is to tell the nature of evil especially with the the man of sin, the Antichrist chapter 13. But when the wrath of God is poured out, that's actually even more fearsome than anything that the evil does. And bearing in mind that God is legendarily patient, they they call that long-suffering in the classic language. God is very, very patient. But at some point, the gong must sound, the boom gate must close, and we get on with God's kingdom program. So for people who are not right with God, we're trusting and praying the Holy Spirit will work on them to say, hey, Jesus is coming back. Am I ready for him? Is he coming as my Savior, or is he coming as my judge?
1: Well, let's just as we set some context for our conversation because I'm sure there are listeners who'd like to participate today and our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316 if you have a question about the book of Revelation or if you have some thoughts and some insights that you'd like to share. 1-800-316-316. Camille, as we connect what might be being said in the book of Revelation with some of the Old Testament books, and I'm particularly thinking of Daniel, but there's a number of Old Testament books that actually do have references to things of the last times or things that are held and uh, will be opened at the last day. How do you connect the New Testament and the Old Testament when it comes to understanding the book of Revelation?
2: Well, it's really important to bear in mind a couple of things. book of Revelation... Is not the sole depository of prophecy. We tend to just focus on revelation oftentimes and forget there's a whole corpus of prophetic utterance found in the rest of the Bible, particularly in the prophetic books like Daniel and other things like that. We we need to have a holistic approach. We need to be studying Old and New Testament, knowing in some ways it's a lifetime of study, but we must link them together, and you rightly did connect Daniel and Revelation. They are inseparable. We can't understand the one without the other, and let's put it this way. When Daniel got the end of his prophecy, chapter 12, God says, seal up The book of the prophecy. It's for the time of the end. Okay, that's the end of Daniel. But at the beginning of Revelation, it's basically unseal the prophecy, the books are open, God is ready to speak, God is ready to interpret. So in one, you're closing up the prophecy, but in Revelation, it's opening up wide.
0: Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020
1: on Vision. Well, Dr. Camille Majdali is our guest this hour. His new book, which is being released this month, is called White Horse Coming, Seven Keys to Understanding the Book of Revelation. So you might have your own question. You might have some input to make to our conversation today. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Uh, Camille, uh, before we talk some more about uh, the book and White Horse Coming, of course, uh, this is going to be coinciding, the launch of this book, with this year's Understanding the Times tour. Uh, you're preparing now to uh, be on the road again, as you were last year and the year before, the Understanding the Times tour, uh, through the months of uh, August and September. How are your preparations going?
2: Okay, that's a good question. We are moving the tour a little bit earlier. Normally, we visit WA at the end of the tour, but extensively. This year, we're visiting WA first, and we're planning to go to amazing places like Albany. Uh, we hope maybe to go to Bunbury again, Geraldton, but we also want to go up into the Kimberleys, including Broome and, and Halls Creek and all that. That's still coming to pass, shall we say, or being worked on, but uh, we will go new places, as well as go to old, familiar places. Normally, we talk about going from Sydney to Cairns, Brisbane to Perth, but this year, we are going more and more to the northern end, and we look forward to that. I hope I will be visiting Darwin, but we're not sure whether we'll get a meeting in Darwin. We'll see what the Lord opens up, but definitely in the other places we're going to go. And of course, what makes understanding of the time so worthwhile, is that people come, in many cases, from long distances because they're hungry to understand what's happening in the world and how God's Word connects with it and brings comfort to His people.
1: Okay, we'll talk some more about the tour just ahead. Your new book is White Horse Coming, Seven Keys to Understanding the Book of Revelation. Uh, let's talk about The Rider on the White Horse, Camille, because your title is about the white horse coming, but I imagine it's not about the horse as much as it is about the rider.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> but on the cover, actually, is the a picture of a white horse because Jesus comes on the white horse. It's, of course, Chapter 19, and Chapter 19, in many ways, could be considered the centerpiece Of the book of Revelation, because after all, everything that you read in that book before chapter 19 leads to the coming of Jesus. It's really, he comes in splendor and glory, but he's coming to take over. He will face furious opposition. Now if you think Donald Trump has had a rough trot with no honeymoon in Washington, (laughs) just imagine what it's like for the Lord himself fulfilling the second psalm, by the way, of the heathen raging and the people imagining the vain things, and the kings of the earth uh, setting themselves and the rulers taking counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, that's, in essence, the prediction of Revelation 19, there in the second psalm. So he will face the furious opposition, but he will basically defeat them with one hand tied behind him back. his back, probably in his sleep. And I don't mean that in any irreverent manner. What I mean is they will be no match for the man riding on the white horse. He'll come, he will defeat his enemies, and then, of course, immediately after that ensues chapter 20 with the thousand-year reign of Christ, followed by Satan being released for a short time and then thrown in the lake of fire, and then, of course, the great white throne judgment. Uh, So it's very fast-paced.
1: Yes, and let's remain just talking about the image of this rider on the white horse. Because for so many Christian believers, uh, there are various images that we have of Jesus. And for some people, they're fixated uh, with the idea of a baby in the manger. And of course, uh, that comes around every year with Christmas time and uh, wonderful, wonderful truths of the incarnation. But, uh, but Jesus is no longer the baby in the manger in the sense that uh, he grew up. And, of course, those images of his life, uh, the death of Jesus on the cross at Calvary, uh, of the resurrected Jesus from Resurrection Sunday, of the ascended Jesus – Uh, And there's a number of images that we have in the book of Revelation. And you mentioned uh, the ones uh, that have Jesus with the eyes of a flaming fire and a wonderful uh, description of Jesus early on. But this image of Jesus, the rider on the white horse, uh, describe for us how this looks from the pages of Revelation chapter 19, Camille.
2: Well, he appears out of heaven. He comes with his hosts. Exactly who the hosts are is uh, subject to discussion. It could very well include in the saints, angels, all kinds of things, but he comes with the hosts. Depending on your viewpoint, whether there is what we call a pre-tribulation rapture or not, will depend what happens. But see, technically the saints are to be with Jesus no matter what, when he comes to earth. It, whether it's in the First Thessalonians 4 rapture passage, that when he comes to earth in the clouds, there's the loud sound of the trumpet, as well as a, a loud, strong voice from him, and the saints rise to meet him, both dead and living. Of course, if let's just say, for argument's sake, the rapture and the second coming are two separate events, then for sure... The saints have to be with him when he comes in chapter 19 because it tells us we will always or ever be with the Lord. So, but I get the impression, not so much from Revelation but from other prophetic passages, that this last battle, we often call it Armageddon, he seems to be the only one that does the fighting. The rest of us are more like spectators. <laughs> Watching him achieve the victory that he so richly deserves and to, re- and to gain the honor in the future to compensate for the humiliation he had in history by being rejected and condemned and then crucified on the cross. I mean, you can't imagine two very different motifs than the crucified Christ and the man who's on the white horse obtaining the victory and the kingdom that was always prepared for him.
1: We'll talk some more about the man on the right horse, uh, the white horse. Uh, we are taking calls on one eight hundred 316 Let's hear from Juliana in Eden's Landing. Hello, Juliana. Welcome along to 2020.
3: Good morning. Yes. Oh, this is exciting. Exciting. It is. I yes. agree. Yes. Um, I have a friend. I've always been interested in the book of Revelation and because as... Um, some people are frightened, but they'll say in, in very early in the, in the pieces of, of the book of Revelation, it's a blessing to read it. And I think that's really a big thing that we need to remember. Um, but I have heard it said, I haven't done a lot of research. I've, I've just read a little bit and, and I'm very interested. And I have heard it said that we're in the chapter, we're in chapter 12 at the moment. And um, there is um, an explanation of the man child that's mentioned in that chapter and um, oh, some other I, just off the top of my head. But um, uh, would you agree that we're in the chapter of, of we're in chapter 12 at the moment, like time timelines
1: wise? Uh, Camille, uh, timelines in chapter 12.
2: <laughs> I, uh, I make no such predictions. <laughs> I, 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 even though it's amazing, I teach and preach on this subject and, and other subjects, I tend to be very coy when it comes to ascribing, shall we say, direct, obvious fulfillments I, of anything, let alone in Revelation. I would tend to think we need to just watch and pray and see what actually unfolds, because chapter 12. Is about the woman fleeing into the wilderness, giving birth, fleeing into the wilderness, being pursued by the dragon. The dragon sends the flood out of his mouth, and yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure how I can uh, how I can ascribe that scenario to being happening right this moment. So yeah, I, I I'm how should I say non-committal.
1: <laughs> Juliana from Eden's Landing, thanks so much for your call today. 1-800-316-316, if you'd like to join in our conversation, Uh, just uh, in these couple of minutes in the lead-up to the news, before we take any more calls, uh, let's just talk about this fixation and almost an obsession uh, that many people have with timelines. Uh, Your feelings uh, about timelines because I know that there'll be some listeners who are saying, well, I've got a timeline, I've got things worked out, how things are supposed to happen. Uh, Your thoughts on timelines, Camille?
2: Well, look, timelines exist, and we do respect timelines, but at the same time, (laughs) when it comes to prophecy, wonderful and glorious as it is, remember, people were looking at prophecy 2,000 years ago, and in some cases they looked so intently, they missed the coming of Messiah. Now, not all of them. Some of them recognized him for who he was, and of course, that's how the Christian Church came into being. So I just believe we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's not just knowing the Word, Neil. It's knowing the Word, being led by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps a third thing is, those that have done theology or biblical studies before us, in yesteryear or even now, we build on what they have already discovered. We're not recreating a wheel, we're building on a foundation of knowledge that's based on God's Word and the right interpretation of God's Word. So basically, in a nutshell, we walk close with God, we are led by the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit quickens us and says, this is it, this is the time, then fine. But I sometimes feel we do get tempted to jump the gun run ahead of God, and, of course, that's never a good idea.
1: Let's try Vanessa in Mergen in Queensland. Hello, Vanessa. Hi. yeah, I I
4: suggest people should also read Matthew uh, 24, Mark 13 chapters, and Luke 21, because um, the end times are not to be afraid of, because you've got to sing songs of Moses and if you're a servant of God in the Song of the Lamb. You know, the great marriage... uh, of the Lord, or He's all the Lord God Almighty, we as Christians are believed to be as saved, should not be in fear. Um, the things of now uh, what human beings are doing to Christians throughout the world is more fearful because they've been imprisoned. Um, uh, children are tearing against parents because of these things. Um, I suggest that uh, people who, are, who feel afraid of what's To happen, read the parables that Jesus has set forth in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, Look for the times there and be rejoiceful in the revelation because it's not a fearful story.
1: What a great set of thoughts, Vanessa. Let's get some response from Dr. Camille Magdalene.
2: Well, I appreciate that uh, emphasis on the positive because ultimately it is all good. It's all good, it's all God, it's all glorious. The fact that Vanessa has mentioned the other chapters, the ones in the Gospels, again, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, and I might add the pertinent Old Testament passages and New Testament passages, all relating to what the Bible calls the blessed hope, which is the return of Christ, our Savior, to the planet. All of that is positive, but I think, too, remember, we're not into escapism but the bible is replete in both testaments about god making a way of escape for his people. Luke 21:36 is a good example. Revelation 3:10 another example. And, and where god basically like he did for noah in the days of noah, he made a way for the righteous, he will do for his people too. Now how that pans out, i can't say, that is god's business, but it is a positive and victorious message in the book of Revelation.
1: Thank you so much to Vanessa from Mergen in Queensland and our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Jeff in Tasmania. Hello, Jeff. Welcome along. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I'm um, I mean just...
3: Um, uh, was it? Chapter 13 in Revelation and just um, on the ten horns and seven heads. Um, what does that actually mean?
1: Okay. Camille?
2: The ten horns and seven heads. There have been all kinds of commentary on this imagery, but the traditional, or at least one of the traditional thoughts, is that the ten horns represent ten kings. The seven heads represent the surviving kings, because three of them are not. Daniel talks about similar imagery, too, We just have to be, you know, we believe we have a preliminary interpretation, but we must remain flexible, like the palm tree in the desert wind. We have to be flexible, but normally it's talking about temporal kingdoms and realms and those that survive and those that don't. And then, of course, this malevolent figure we call Antichrist, which, by the way, the name Antichrist does not appear in Revelation— it appears in First John, and there are actually several labels we can use for the Antichrist figure, but he basically takes over them all temporarily. They will gang up on the harlot of Babylon, and they will destroy her as well. But, you know, that's what we traditionally think, and I will hold on to that until the Lord shows me otherwise. Uh,
1: Jeff, is that shedding some light on your thoughts? Yep. No, thank you. Uh, Jeff from Tasmania, thanks so much for being part of our conversation today. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 if you'd like to join in our conversation. Just to, to build on what Jeff was talking about, about horns and uh, uh, these sorts of nations as you're describing. And this is one of those elements, is it not, Camille, where people do tend to... Uh, to read into the book of Revelation the things that they might be looking at and uh, oftentimes people will look at uh, EU and it's interesting in light of uh, the French elections over the weekend that people will be looking at the EU and and uh, and aligning or correlating some of those things that you might read in, in Revelation as to the way that global powers are in fact at work on the face of the earth. How do you actually look at some of these events today and say, you know what, Revelation does have something to say about the things things that are going on in the world.
2: All right. I try to view it from a scholarly point of view. It's not a term I use a lot, but it's, it's a valid term, where we actually are interested in getting the truth to the matter. We will look at all the evidence objectively, and even if the evidence goes against our preconceived ideas, we will hold on to reality, truth, and evidence over yeah, our, uh, our prejudices. So, for example, it has been ingrained in a lot of evangelical Western Christians that somehow Antichrist is European and that his realm is in Europe, that he is the uh, king of the legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And oftentimes we use the phrase revived Roman Empire. I would view all that like a hypothesis, something that is our educated guess, and we'll hold on to it until we either prove it and upgrade it, (laughs) or we see that it's flawed and we discard it. Neil, even as much as I've taught this subject, I've always held on to certain interpretations lightly because we only know in part and see in part. So, for example, there are certain best-selling teachers now coming out talking about that the last world empire is not going to be in Europe at all. It's going to be in the Middle East because Middle East place names are used. And its I'm telling you, it's so challenging when you've held on to something for so long and now you're being challenged that it could be wrong. But at least in my case, it's, I'm not missing anything because I never held on to these interpretations that tightly to begin with. Unless it really is clearly a fulfillment, whatever it may be, We must have that kind of attitude, ready to revise, ready to be flexible, because we're not talking about the essentials of our faith or of our morality. We're talking about the interpretation of apocalyptic literature. So, yeah, we have to be flexible in those areas, but in other areas of Christian faith and practice, we must be solid like a
1: rock. Okay, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 316 If you'd like to join in our conversation today, Camille, I want to take you back to Revelation 19 because the image that we have of the rider on the white horse is so significant, is so profound. Uh, let me just read you uh, for listeners. Uh, And get your thoughts, uh, Camille, on on a few different aspects of what we're reading about the image of the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19. Uh, And it reads uh, from verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, what, a, what an absolutely amazing and profound image of Jesus, Almighty God, uh, arriving for his saints uh, it's uh, actually it's quite emotional even to read that, Camille.
2: Well, it is it is amazing. You've just read six verses, and notice how condensed the language is. So much is said in a mere six verses. I would dare say that this picture of Jesus would be a shock even for many Christians, <laughs> because we're so used to the imagery of a of a suffering Savior or of a a gentle Lamb of God who himself is holding a little lamb nestled in his arms. So this very robust, dare I say it, masculine image is, is amazing. But also, it's talking about somebody who's more than just a man. We know Jesus as Son of Man, Son of God, and so all of that comes out in full bloom, as if The harvest is here, which it is, of course, and now Jesus is making his debut for what he truly is, King of kings and Lord of lords. No longer just Jesus of Nazareth, he is King of all kings, and may I say, the anointed of all anointed.
1: Of course, he is called faithful and true, and you might think that's a little bit of a throwaway line, but very profound In the essence of who Jesus is.
2: Absolutely, especially because where so many are unfaithful, either they have no faith, or they're not walking in faith, or they cannot be relied upon, and where lying and mendacity is now down to a fine art and a spirit of strong delusion seems to be coming on our world. Here comes the embodiment of both faithfulness And truth. And in fact, Jesus is the truth, along with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and the Word of God is truth as well. It is what we've been waiting for, really for millennia, that all the hopes and fears of the Church are met in this singular event, Christ coming into this planet. The King is coming to claim His kingdom.
1: And those who are following him are also on white horses and they're clothed in the fine white clean linen uh, but the robe that the rider on the white horse is riding uh, is wearing uh, is a robe dipped in blood uh, that's that's significant and uh, connects Jesus the rider on the white horse with the Jesus of the cross at Calvary
2: well yes Exactly. This. Remember that the imagery of blood, of course, is not normally a, a happy one. <laughs> but we learn in Leviticus that, that, that there's life in the blood, and in fact, that's why we're told we're never to eat blood. And here is the one who shed his blood, the blood of Jesus for the believer, like the cross of Jesus for the believer, is no longer something that's to be abhorred but something that is embraced, the blood for the cleansing, the cross for the putting to death of the old, sinful, selfish life, and, of course, preparing the way for a new life. Yeah, the imagery is amazing. That which was abhorred now becomes embraced and is almost like permanently emblazoned as part of how we understand the rider on the white horse he is the one, his robe is dipped with blood. Without that, we could not be with him to his victory and into his kingdom.
1: Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hello, Chris. Welcome along.
3: Um, good day, Neil. Good day. yeah. Um, uh, Camille, can, you know, uh, the blood um, represent both um, so the salvation and judgment, as well as you said before, we shouldn't be... Um, you know too dogmatic yeah because many people believe the antichrist would be a european now we believe he's a muslim and just one more <laughs> couple of things um yeah the the rider on the white horse um he he's the manifestation of god's judgment i.e the revelation 5 5 the lion of the tribe of judah who's worthy to open the seals but he'll always be you know god's mercy the lamb of god who was slain before the foundations of the world camille mm-hmm. Well,
2: there's yes, that's all right, Chris. It's all right. It's I guess the thing what I try to convey when I teach Revelation. One, the the first key is that it's all about Jesus, or that it is primarily about Jesus. And what happens in Revelation? It's so staggering. Every book of the Bible, all sixty six of them, have a portrait of Christ. The Gospels obviously have more than one portrait of Christ. But no book of the Bible has more portraits and descriptions of Christ as the book of Revelation. That's why it's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The fact is, in the six verses we've got all these descriptions in itself is, is amazing. So I would say this is like a diamond. You can look at it at different angles and you'll discover something new, something heartwarming, something life-changing. So I appreciate those reflections.
0: This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events
1: from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We always love a conversation with Dr. Camille Magiddley on a whole host of fabulous topics that we can talk about. Today we're talking about White Horse Coming. It's Dr. Camille Majdali's 11th book, Seven Keys to Understanding the Book of Revelation. It's to be launched this month in Malaysia and then it will be available. It coincides with this year's Understanding the Times tour. Uh, Camille, uh, time's running short, but let's squeeze in one more call. Uh, Let's hear from Gary in Campbelltown in Sydney. Hello, Gary. Welcome along. Hello. Here you go. Good. Gary, what are your thoughts, or do you have a question?
3: Yeah, I had a, uh, uh, an idea popped in my head one time, where, you know, like the, the mark of the, the number of the beast, 666. Six, six,
1: six. Yep.
3: And, uh, and it struck me one day that maybe it's not a number, but, you know, like you got 666, six, six, like repeater, and there's no seven, no God's number, just
1: 666. Six, six. Yep. You know,
3: like a um, reasonable theory? More than just a
2: number?
1: Okay, some thoughts from Camille on 666.
2: Well, I tell you, a few things in Revelation have caught the imagination of people like what Gary's just brought up now, the 666. I still remember when barcodes came out. I was in uni. Barcodes came out, and I'll never forget. My roommate was saying to me, see these barcodes? It's the mark of the beast. Now it's, it'll, you'll find it on everything soon, and sure enough, it was on everything, and soon it'll be on people. So, of course, that's enough to make you lose sleep for a few nights. I would say that with the, it, the, the point of the exercise in Revelation 13, that basically the mark of the beast is the number of the man. it's an identity issue, and that it either is talking about a literal number— Or it's talking about, shall we say, the fact that this Antichrist figure, who will want to be worshipped as God, is still, at very best, a man. In other words, it brings that limitation to him. So it just says here, let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. So it, it really, to me, sounds like an identification thing. So let's be flexible there may be a 666 as we see it here or it may be just a heightened human thing and and for sure the holy spirit will give us the signposts if and when that time comes if if we're even present on earth when it comes
1: thank you so much to gary in Campbelltown for your insights we won't be able to take any more calls time is running short uh two or three things to mention and As we draw this conversation to a close, Camille, fair enough to say that when we talk about the book of Revelation, these seven keys, uh, that you're talking about Jesus, uh, that it's about God, it's about blessing, it's about justice. It's about the second coming. It's about the church being prepared, and it's about eternity. Uh, it's a way of just uh, bringing into context the sorts of things that you're talking about in your new book, and people will want to keep an eye out for that because it'll be available very soon. There's another thing uh, that people can can connect with you here, uh, Camille, is that and that's your Holy Land tour that's coming up in November a Bible adventure tour. What's actually happening for your Holy Land tour later this year?
2: Yeah, so, the, yes. I'm, I'm not sure if I got it all clear here, Neil, but yeah, we're talking about Understanding the Times and then the tour.
1: Uh, understanding the Times is August, September, and then in November you're actually leading a tour to the Holy Land yes, and uh, right. people yes. can connect with you and be part of your tour.
2: Yes, uh, we're departing 27th of November We are going to three countries. It's about 18 days, Egypt, Jordan, and much coverage in Israel. We do adventurous things on the tour. We do standard things as well that I think every believer that comes to the Holy Land should see. I do a lot of the commentary because I actually have a master's degree in history and geography of the Bible. And we also connect with living stones. We meet believers in the land, Arab and Jewish and therefore help make friends so that we can be a support to each other in the coming days. It's my, I think it's my 33rd or 34th tour that I've led, and love to welcome our vision friends along.
1: And there is a website, of course, uh, Dr. Camille Magdalene leads Teach All Nations, and so the website where uh, you might be able to perhaps pre-register for a copy of his new book or to... Uh, put your name down to be a part of a Holy Land tour. Teach all nations. The website is T A N. That's very simple, isn't it? T A a u. That's T A N.org.au. The book we've been talking about this hour is called White Horse Coming Seven Keys to Understanding the Book of Revelation. And being launched in Malaysia, Camille, uh, just getting ready to uh, head off for that major launch in Malaysia. And, and of course, then the Understanding the Times tour that starts in August and September across four states here in Australia, New South Wales, Queensland, South Australia and Western Australia. And for regular listeners to Vision, uh, you'll be able to catch up on some details as we get closer to the tour. There are still some things that are coming together. Uh, Camille, always good getting your insights. Thanks so much for being with us again today on 2020.
2: It's been a pleasure and God bless you, Neil, and God bless our listeners.